Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is taken from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the second morning session of Sunday the 15th of February 2009, entitled Heaven's Final Four. And the Bible reading is taken from Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 to 21. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. I am so thankful to be here. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, I just ask that you... uh, you be open and receptive to what God has for you. I've had so much fun already, they ought to charge me entertainment tax before I leave the country. And uh, we, we had a great time yesterday. And uh, I will go ahead and say this. Uh, Pastor Larry was being awful humble. Uh, though we had to let a few of our players play from Bethel on the other team, Kingsmead, uh, I believe the score was 10-1 to 1 in favor of Bethel. 9-1. to 9-1? to 1? Might as well have been 10-1. 9 when you, anyway, we had a great time, and uh, we're all probably a little banged up, but uh, but just like men, we, we wouldn't tell you if we were, and uh, we'd lie about it probably, and say, no, we're doing great, and then wobble out and hobble out, but anyway, uh, I'm so honored to be here, and matter of fact, I'm honored to be anywhere I'm at. I mean, you get to be 40, 42 years of age, you're just about, you're just about blessed anywhere you can be, and so... Uh, I just ask that you uh, be open today, and I've got just a few moments of your time, and I want to make sure that I'm not boring, especially I won't be long. I won't be boring either. So uh, uh, Revelation chapter number 22. Revelation chapter number 22, my favorite book. Not because it's the end, because it's only the beginning, really. Revelation chapter 22, and I want to look at verse 18. Very seldom, we usually start at the beginning, we, we look at middle part of the Bible, But very seldom do you hear a preacher preach on the last four verses of the Scripture. This is the last four verses of the inspired Word of God. And I want to give you today a title uh, that uh, I normally don't preach this message anywhere, but I am today. And I want to call it Heaven's Final Four. You say, that's an awful interesting title. Well, in our country, this is a time of the year in which we we are just as fanatical about basketball as you are about football. And I mean soccer. I ain't talking about American football. Uh, the real thing. No, I'm just playing. But uh, soccer, y'all are very, very entrenched in soccer. We are the same way with, with basketball. And what we normally have in March, when I get back into my country, is in the collegiate realm. Uh, it'd be kind of like uh, university. Our college ranks, uh, all the colleges over across America enter into a tournament of 64 teams. It's called the Big Dance. That's what they call it in America, called the Big Dance. And what happens is those 64 teams dwindle down from 64 to 32, then 32 to 16, called the Sweet 16. Then those 16 teams play, and there's eight, called it the Elite Eight. And then there comes down to a final four. There's four teams left, and out of those four teams will come a national champion. Hopefully it'll be the North Carolina Tar Heels this year, amen. But they got a good chance. But, you know, those teams compete against each other, very competitive, just like it is on the football field yesterday, amen, guys, amen. Very competitive. We don't want to lose. I'm well, Listen, I'd hate to lose at anything. If we're playing checkers with my kids, I don't like to lose. I like to win. I think y'all don't want to win. I don't think we're going to come back with Jesus. And he say, hey, let's just get in there and do the best we can. No, we're going to win. Jesus is going to win. And so uh, that one team will prevail. But folks, this Final Four, there's no, no, there's no competition. There's no competition in this Final Four. Now you say, preacher, what is that final four? Well, let's look at it. Uh, Revelation chapter uh, 22 and look at verse 18. 
It says, For I testify, John on the Isle of Patmos is testifying, and he said, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. You ought to underline the words, this book. That's one of them. If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. That's pretty self-explanatory. Y'all not, not meddle with God's word. Y'all not do that. There's a lot of things that are going on today, but I'm here to tell you that one thing we ought not mess with, though the uh, methods may change, God's word will never change. You don't meddle with the word of God. Look at verse 19. And if any man shall take away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. Now, let me explain something real quick. That does not mean that if a man's saved, that God's going to snatch eternal life from him. No. I believe every person that ever has lived has a part in the book of life. Uh, it's just whether you want your name written there. Okay? And it says, we'll take a part out of the book of life and out of the holy city. You ought to underline the words holy city. And from the things which are written in this book. Verse 20, he which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Those are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Unbelievably, those are the last words that we have recorded from him. He says, Surely I come. If he says that, don't you think he's going to like do that? He says, Surely I come quickly. Now, we know this was written in 95 AD, but that doesn't negate the fact that Jesus ain't coming. He is coming. And look at, verse, look at the latter part of verse 20. He says, Surely I come quickly, amen. Even so, this ought to be our prayer. Even so, come Lord Jesus. I want you to underline the words Lord Jesus. That's the third final of the final four. That, just because it's the third one don't mean he ain't first. It's just in the sequential order of which, of which it's being preached. Look at verse 21. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with, look at the last two words, you all. I like those words. That's a southern term we use in North Carolina. You all. It's a Greek word. It's one word and it's called y'all. Oh no, no. I'm just playing. If you was from New York, it'd be you guys. Okay. But hey, I like the I like the last two words of this book. You all. He says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And then he says this word. Amen. Aren't you glad he said amen? That means I agree. Now, folks, I want to preach to you this morning a message entitled the, the Lord's or Heaven's Final Four. Before I preach, let's go to the throne of grace. Father, give me strength this morning, I pray. Lord, help me to be a little bit like liquid and pour me out among the people and help me to be a blessing to them. Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts and help us to leave this place less of what we are by nature and more like your sweet son, Jesus. And we'll love you and praise you for what you do in our midst today because we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Folks, let me take you back to Revelation chapter number 4 and show you something very quickly. This is an intriguing book, but I have to kind of give you a summation of what this book's about. This book is not about a, a, a vision that John, the, the, the great apostle, got. This is the revelation of none other than the Lamb of, of, of God, the line of the tribe of Judah. This is the revealing, the unveiling, if you will, of Jesus Christ. This is our Savior. This is what this book is about. And matter of fact, folks, I'm here to tell you today that just like Pastor Larry said, you may take a breath here and exhale in glory. He could come that quick. And folks, I want you to look at, first of all, the rapture of the church. Now, we need to look at what's going to take place. In Revelation chapter number 4, look at verse number 1. It says, After this, this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And as the, uh, the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. I believe that is in direct 
correlation with First Thessalonians chapter number 4, verses 13 through 18, where it says, The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Let me tell you something, folks. If Jesus is going to be shouting when He comes back, hey, man, I know I'm going to be shouting. Amen? It says, The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are, what? Alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And all of God's people said, You better say amen. Because it may be morning, it may be noon, it may be evening, but praise God, it may be soon. He could come back before we even say the last amen of this service. But folks, the rapture of the church, it's going to happen. People have said for years, preach book. Matter of fact, there's a book today that they'd pay you to take. Some of these quacks and some of these weird preachers that you get all over the world that preach these messages that Jesus is coming back. There's a book that today that is in library after library, they'd pay you to take. It's called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. Well, guess what? He didn't come back. That guy's a false prophet. Folks, I'm here to tell you, I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but I'm telling you this, the Heavenly Father knows when He's going to send Him back. And you know what? Your question ought to be, am I ready? See, I used to go witnessing in, 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 in the downtown area of Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and I had a guy who used to look at me, and he said, you know what? He said, he would always ask a person, are you ready for eternity? And if the person answered back, well, of course I'm ready, he'd say, well, are you living like it? Well, that pretty much cuts to the chase. That kind of scratches where we itch, don't it? <laughs> yeah. Are we living like he could come back in the next five minutes? See, folks, I'm convinced of this. It is our job as a Christian to practice the presence of God and look for His imminent return. That means He could come back before we could even say the last amen of the service. The rapture of the church. It's going to be a, a, it's going to be a clear, sure event that's going to take place. But I want you to notice something else in this passage. It says... He said, come up hither and I will show thee things, show thee things which must be uh, hereafter. And look at verse number 2. And immediately I was in the Spirit. And it says immediately. Immediately. That means, folks, that the rapture of the church is going to happen so quick. Immediately. That quick, it's going to happen so fast that you don't have time to go make things right with your mom or your dad. It's going to happen so quick, teenager, you ain't going to have time to go and get right with somebody that you've wronged. It ain't, listen, it's going to happen so quick that you ain't going to have time to go and ask for forgiveness of something that you've said to a church member that you know you don't need to get right about. You say, well, why is that important? Isn't it important I'm just saved? Hey, listen, folks, salvation's just the beginning. Look at the rest of it. Look down at verse 4. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats of the thrones I saw four and twenty sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads what? Crowns of gold. Everybody in this room ought to study uh, what kind of crowns we're going to receive. Because guess what? As a Christian, when you get to heaven, you're going to receive or lose reward based upon what you've done for Jesus after you've been saved. There's five crowns mentioned in the Bible. Number one, an incorruptible crown. That means, you know what? That's going to be given to anybody who doesn't give up, who stays in the race, and it doesn't matter what tries to stop them from running they keep on running you know what I don't care how many times you've fallen down the most important question is have you gotten back up man everybody in the world's fallen everybody's messed up except me no I'm just no everybody's messed up I tell you right now you know it's an amazing thing the Pope says he's infallible you know what I found out if he had been married 
He'd know he wasn't infallible, Brother Crick, but his wife would tell him he wasn't perfect. Amen? That's good, pre that's good preaching, Brian. Folks, I'm here to tell you that when we get to heaven, we're going to get an incorruptible crown if we don't give up and we keep running the race. You don't quit. Boy, you better thank God Jesus didn't quit. If he'd quit, we'd be in hell today. So we get an incorruptible crown. Hey, there's a crown of joy. There's a crown of life. There's a crown of righteousness. Hey, listen, there's a crown of rejoicing. And I'm here to tell you folks, there is a crown of life to give to everybody who goes through the storms of life and says, Lord, I'm thankful for the storm. I'm thankful you delivered me from it, but thank God you delivered me through it. Crowns. What happens to those crowns? Well, look over to the latter part of chapter number 4. Say, preacher, I thought we were supposed to be in Revelation. Well, I only got 12 more points. I'll get there soon later. Look at verse number 9. And when the, those beasts which give honor, glory and honor and thanks to, the, to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. You know what you're going to do one day? If you do gain a reward, you'll take it off and slide it right at his feet and say, Jesus, you're worthy of everything that I've ever attained in my life. You know, that's what Paul said. Paul said, everything that was gained to me, those things I counted lost for Christ. Now, I want to ask you something today. Why do you do what you do? Do you do what you do for you, so you want to get a pat on the back from the pastor? Do you do what you do at work so the boss man will come by and say, man, we couldn't make it without you. If you're doing it, you got your reward here. You ain't got it in heaven. That's bad English. I'm sorry. But it's good preaching. All right? If you do it for that motivation, you've got your reward here, not in heaven. But if you do it for Jesus Christ, you know what you're sending ahead? You're sending ahead gold, silver, and precious stone that one of these days will be made into a crown to be put, a diadem, if you will, to be put on your head that one, one day ultimately you'll take it off and cast it right at His feet. Hallelujah. Folks, we see the rapture of the church. We see the rewarding of the church. But I want you to see the rehearsal of the church. Look at chapter number 5 very quickly now. Very quickly. It says in chapter number 5, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look their own. And I wept much because no man was able to open the book and to read the book, neither to look their own. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book in the loose of seven seals thereof. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four and beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down, look at it, fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign, thank God, we shall reign on the earth. You know what, one of these days, folks, you're going to sing a song. You may not be able to carry a pitch right now, but I'm here to tell you one of these days you're going to sing before the King of kings and Lord of lords and say, Lord, thou art worthy to receive glory and power and honor and riches and wisdom and strength and glory and blessing. Hey, we're just rehearsing right now. We're just rehearsing right now. 
hey, folks, the church is going to be raptured. It's going to be rewarded. It's going to rejoice. It's going to rehearse. Turn over to uh, Revelation chapter 19 very quickly now. Very quickly look at chapter number 19. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah. We know what the word hallelujah means, don't we? Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hey, that's good, man. We're going to get a bus and go on the road. Amen. That's what the word means. Hallelujah. It means praise our God. And it says there was a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and honor and power be unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgment. For he had judged a great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his saints at her hand. And again they said, Hallelujah, and her smoke rose up forever and ever. Look at verse 4. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down before the, uh, fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as a voice of many waters, and as a voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent, what? Reigneth. Now look at verse 6. 7, excuse me. Let us be glad and what? For the marriage of the Lamb hath come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Now look up at me. Folks, we see the rapture of the church. We see the rewarding of the church. We see the rehearsing of the church. But I want you to see the rejoicing of the church. What's the church rejoicing over? The church is going to be rejoicing over the fact that we're going to be standing there one day clothed in white raiment, filing in white and clean. Every blood-bought saint that has ever trusted Jesus Christ is going to be standing there with, listen, the, the, the blood-bought, born-again, redeemed, the church of Jesus Christ, the bride of our Lamb. And listen, we're going to be standing there. God Himself is going to perform the service. And we're going to be married to the Son of God. We're there rejoicing because, listen, the music's going to be magnificent. The bride's going to be beautiful, clothed in white linen. Hey, listen, the guests are going to be glad. But thank God the groom in this service is going to be glorified, not the bride. Why are we rejoicing? Because we're finally going to change the engagement ring for a wedding band and we're going to be married to Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. I've told the story many times about most weddings, you know, we always hear about the, white, the, the bride, you know, the dress and all the bridesmaids and what color that the dress is going to be, what kind of flowers they're going to use. And then, by the way, Brian's the groom. And that's all it's mentioned about the man. By the way, that's it. I mean, everything else is about her. But I'm here to tell you when we get to heaven, and the bride's married to Jesus. There ain't going to be no focus on the bride. It's going to be on Him. We'll be probably standing at the front of the throne of God. And here, here comes the, the, the mad, majestic doors are going to open wide. And here comes Jesus Christ down the center aisle. And, and you know what? We as the church are going to be standing at the front. We're going to Listen, God's going to perform the service. He's going to perform the marriage. And we'll probably stand there and all the Old Testament patriarchs are going to be there to witness just like you're sitting in a pew today. And you know what? I can only imagine Chris looking at some of them saying, Hey, Enoch, can you kind of move out of the way a little bit? Moses, you need to back up a little bit, son. Abraham, could you please scoot over just a minute? I'm trying to see my Savior. Can you imagine? But folks, this ain't no figurative speech. This is literal. We're going to be a participant of what we read. We're going to be rejoicing. But I want you to turn over to Matthew, well, excuse me, Revelation chapter number 19 and look at verse 11. 
Not only are we rejoicing, but we're going to be returning. The rapture of the church, the rewarding of the church, the rehearsing of the church, the rejoicing of the church, but the returning of the church. Look at verse number 11. And I saw in heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he that judge and make war. Said his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies... I wonder, can you just help me out, students? Can you just help me out and tell me, who are the armies here? It's you. You better get used to liking horses because you're going to be on one in heaven. The armies which were in heaven following him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword that with it he said, this ain't baby Jesus we're talking about, is it? Uh-uh. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, Carl, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fiercest and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath, Brother Steve, on his vesture, and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We talking about my king. He's coming back. And we're going to be returning with him. You say, preacher, you preach for 15 minutes, ain't he got to the message? Well, my messages are usually, you might notice by now, real long introduction, very short message. I'm just a meat and potatoes kind of guy, or whatever y'all call those over here, parsnips. Anyway, um, I want you to look at Revelation chapter 22. Look over there just real quickly. I want you to look at the four things that I want to talk about today. Heaven's final four. The first one is this. There's going to be some things that will never, ever, ever leave heaven. Ever, ever, never. God's final four, number one, I want you to look at verse 18. For I testify unto every man that, hath, that heareth the words of the prophecy of what? This book. Notice, folks, that the first thing, the first of God's final four is, number one, the eternal word of God. Do you know that when you get to heaven, you're going to be judged based primarily upon what's in this book? You have been given an open book test. You have everything at your disposal right here to know how you ought to live. And I'd hate to get to heaven and know that I'm going to lose reward based upon an open book test. Now, folks, I'm here to tell you the first thing that will never fade away, Brother Peter, is the eternal word of God. There's a lot of people that's tried to dismiss it and put it away. Hey, folks, I'm not trying to be, a, uh, be a condemning of any other religion or any other cult. But I'm here to tell you that they've put, a, they've, they've put more emphasis on their testament than on this book. Hey, you look at many of them. There's one that came out with a book called Another Testament of Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know what, folks? There's something wrong with that. Hey, listen, Paul told the church in Corinth, he warned him, he said, beware, in the last days there'll come another gospel, another Jesus, and another spirit preached. And folks, we're seeing a lot of things that are done in the name of God, but I'm going to tell you what, everything you see that's done in the name of God doesn't necessarily mean it is of God. You can hold hands in a 25,000-seat uh, arena and hold hands and wave each other's hands and sing kumbaya, but that doesn't mean Jesus is anywhere around. He must be given laud and glory, and everything should redound to His cause and His purpose. Folks, we ain't talking about a prophet that just walked on the face of the earth. We ain't just talking about a good teacher that walked dusty Galilean streets. We're talking about the God of heaven. Who walked amongst us. Folks, I'm telling you, we're talking about Jesus. And the first thing I promise you that will not fade away in heaven is the eternal 
Word of God. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says this, The flower withereth and the grass fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Hey, listen, Psalm chapter 119.11, you know what it says. Thy word have I hid in my, that I might not sin against thee. Psalm 119.89, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Psalm 119.105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 119.140, thy word is very pure. Malcolm, therefore thy servant loveth it. Psalm 119.160, I'm here to tell you that the Bible says the word of God is sure and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. I'm here to tell you the Word of God will never fade away. You can have every cult in America try to dismiss it. Hey, listen, Voltaire tried to dismiss it and said he would see the Bible absolutely destroyed, but they made his house a place where they printed the Bible and it was distributed all over the world. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Voltaire. I'm here to tell you that they may try to, listen, they may try to tear it down. You've got a group of people, I don't know if it's here, but there's a group group of people in America called Christian scientists. I call it grape nut religion. You ever heard of grape nuts? It's a cereal in America. It's neither grape nor nut. Listen, they're neither Christian nor science, scientist. That's what I call a grape nut religion. They've taken the New World Translation, which is a, listen, absolutely heresy, and called it the Bible. Hey, listen. They've tried to take the Koran and say that it is over and above the Word of God and corrects our Bible. I'm here to tell you that they're going to kick against that one that is, listen, it's going to break the, listen, everything into pieces. The Word of God is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rocks into pieces. You can kick against God's Word, but I'm here to tell you it will stand forever. It'll stand forever. The one thing in heaven is going to be the eternal Word of God. Folks, I had a little slimline Bible I used to carry to go soul winning. It was a little back pocket testament. The outside cover of it wore out. Sent it off to one of my friends. I said, brother, I said, I want you to put a new cover on this for me. And uh, he did that. Called me back and he said, what was originally on the front of it, I cannot print. He said, I'm going to have to abbreviate it because I don't have a printing machine that can put the print on there small enough. He said, I'll just have to abbreviate it. I said, that's fine. He sent my little slimline pocket New Testament back to me. And on the front of it, it said this. It had the letters T-N-T. The New Testament. Now you say, what's the, what's, the, what's the big deal about that? Well, do you know what Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says? It says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power, Greek word, unimos. We get our English word, dynamite from it. And do you know what the Bible is? It is dynamite, man. It's T-N-T. And I'm here to tell you that they can try to dismiss it, But I'm here to tell you the Word of God will stand. It changed my life, Peter. Somebody asked me one time, who led you to Calvary? I said this. This. Somebody gave me a slimline New Testament on the way to Paris Island, South Carolina. Marine Corps boot camp. And I began to read it and I understood that all meant all and I had sinned. 
And the Holy Spirit of God took the Word of God and began to place it and lodge it down in my heart. And the more I read, the more under conviction I got until that day that I got gloriously saved. And I said, man, thank God, somebody gave me a Bible and I was able to read it and the Holy Spirit illuminated it to me. You know the amazing thing about the Christian life is when you first get saved, you go, man, this is wonderful. And then you move a little bit on down the road and you go, man, this is hard. <laughs> this is hard. And then you get to the point, I don't know where you're at in your life, but I am sometimes in mine. This is impossible. But when I walk into the hospital room of a person that's getting ready to go there, to heaven, that final stage is, man, this is glorious. This is glorious. Because, folks, this ain't the end. We just don't live a life going to the dust of the earth and totally annihilation. That is not the end of it. Every single person in here, you're going to live and spend eternity somewhere. Where's it going to be? The first thing that's going to be in heaven is the eternal word of God. Second thing, look at verse number 19. If any man shall take away from the words of this book, I promise I'm going to preach real fast from here, okay? Real fast, I'll be concise. Anybody takes the words, the, the words of this book of the prophecy away, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the what? Holy city. Now you know what? There's a lot of people that talk about And look over at Revelation chapter 21 and look at verse number, look at verse number 15. It says, And he talked with me and had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the walls thereof and the city lieth four square. Because the length and breadth of it and the height of it and all of that was measured 12,000 furlongs. I can't even begin to tell you how much that is. It's in the, it's in the quintillions. Square miles. It's a little bit less the size of America as far as that. But you've got to think, it's 1,500 square miles cubed. Kind of ironic that that's the same shape as a place where the Holy of Holies was. This city of Jerusalem, I don't believe, will come physically to the earth. I believe it will be hovering somewhere across uh, above it because it says in verse number 1, I, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there's no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Never says it physically comes to the earth. It's a city that lays four square, 1,500 square miles. Let me just kind of give you just a, something to think about. If... If the population, they say, may get to 100 billion people one day, that's if Jesus don't come back today, all right? It's about 6.4 billion right now. If 100 billion people live on the face of the earth, they say, if only 20% of those trust Christ, that would leave enough space for each person if 20% of 100 billion, you do the math, I ain't a perfect mathematician, all right? If every single person, 20% of 100 billion people went to heaven, 20% of them, each person would have enough space. It would be a block of land, 75 acres large. I can't even fathom that. But that ain't our eternal abode. That's just the new Jerusalem. That's that holy city. Hey, it's a pure place. Walls of jasper. Can you imagine gates of pearl? You ladies just want a string of them. You're going to have doors that are made of them when you get to heaven. 72 meters high is the wall. See, I'm talking in your terms now, in meters. We ain't talking feet. We're talking meters. 72 meters high is the wall in this city, four square. But folks, not just a pure place, it's a prepared place. 
Hey, it's prepared for us. We'll have total access to it as a people of God. But it's a perpetual place. I want you to look at chapter number 21. Look at verse number 4. It says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. I don't know if you know this or not, but the word new there, it's, a, it's, in, the, it's in the present active indicative. It means it's a continual process. He continually makes everything new. It's just all day long, all day long in the new city. He'll make everything new. Folks, this is a great place. This is where we'll spend most of our time. And He'll be on the throne. And we'll be His people. And He'll be our God. I don't even know how to explain it. The words in this little preacher's vocabulary cannot even explain or fathom what will take place when we get there. Can't. I mean, we have such a good time here, don't we? I mean, man, we won't leave this service each night probably before 11 o'clock. I know it already. You better get caught up on your sleep today because when it starts tonight, it'll be on. It'll be on. I mean, it won't be any rest for the weary. Can you imagine what the fellowship's going to be like when we get to heaven? You say, well, preacher, what's the other two things? Let's look at two more and we'll go home. The, the, the next to the last one is this in verse number 20. He says, he that testified. So the two things that we've seen in God's final four already is number one, the eternal word of God, but number two, the eternal place of God. But I want you to look at number three. And he testified these things, saying, surely, surely I come quickly, amen, even so come, Lord Jesus. The third thing is the eternal Son of God. I'm going to just be honest with you, folks. It wouldn't be heaven if he wasn't there. It would not be heaven if he wasn't there. But I'll tell you, I'm glad that Jesus is there, but I'm glad for something else. You know, when I get to heaven, I'm not going to be thankful for the streets of gold. I'm not going to be thankful for the gates of pearl and the walls of jasper and, you know, just the, the palatial estate that God's prepared for me. I'm really not going to be thankful for that. For what am I going to be thankful for? Look at verse number 21. It says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Y'all, be with y'all. Or as they say in the South, you and, <laughs> I mean, that's real country. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. You know what I'm thankful for, Peter? There's some things that will never go away. Number one is the Word of God. Number two is the place of God. Number three is the Son of God. But number four is the people of God. The people of God. Heaven's made up of people. I'm looking forward to getting there. Oh, I want to see Jesus. Don't get me wrong. That's the first one I want to see. Oh, but I long to see my daddy. I want to see my dad. I, I want to see a young lady that just this past summer we watched a 14 and a half year old young lady. Look at me, teenagers. 14 and a half. Her name's Sarah Hines. She had an inoperable brain problem. A tumor in her brain. The brain stem, they could not operate. If they took it out, she would die instantly. I watched for days upon days upon weeks upon months. I watched this young lady struggle. It got to the point to where her speech began to be slurred. It got to the point to where her eye would become lazy because the tumor began to grow. 
But each and every day I remember this young lady would just sit and say, you know what, God's allowed us to take place and I praise Him. I'd have to go outside and almost make me, it almost made me sick. Thinking, God, how selfish am I? When this young lady ain't got but about three more months to live and she's praising God and I get a little hangnail and I start complaining and griping and moaning. Let me tell you what, the last day that I ever saw her was the day before she went to glory. I walked in that hospital room, Pastor Larry, and I looked in her eyes and she was throwing up in a hospital bed. She had one of them bedpans and she was throwing up because her head hurt so bad. It was such an excruciating headache she couldn't even describe it. And she would sit there and she would, oh, and then she would throw up a little bit and then after it was over with, she'd say, thank you, Jesus, that's over. Thank you. At her funeral, she died the next day. Three days later, they had her funeral. And guess what? Sarah had requested that at her funeral, she worked at a little hamburger joint. She worked at a little place where they made burgers and chips, and it was a neat little place. It was called uh, a PT's. Make one of the best hamburgers you could. I mean, it's so good, you put it on top of your head, your tongue would beat your brains to death trying to get to it. I mean, it's good. But she worked in this little hamburger place, and you know what? She, they, they make homemade lemonade there. Freshly squeezed lemonade from, from pure lemons and just some sugar. And she requested at her funeral, everybody that came to her funeral, be served a glass of lemonade. Why? Because she said, you can take lemons and make lemonade out of it. She said, you know what? A lot of people think they're dealt lemons, but if they'd look at it a little bit more carefully, they could make lemonade out of it. You know, I can't wait to see Sarah when I get to heaven. Can't wait to see my dad. I can't wait to see that lady that pretty much introduced me to the one that I knew, but didn't know him intimately. You ever had a situation, Steve, where you go into one of those nursing homes and people are talking and you can't understand what they're saying. You go, man, they just may, must be way out there. And, but you know, you find out a little later that those people are a little bit more on than you think they are. They're on target a little bit more than you think they are. I went into a nursing home when I was used to just uh, distributing a vending route. And I went in there and this lady was walking with her walker right down the hallway and she was talking to herself. And the whole time she's like, and I could only pick out a few words in her conversation. She was talking, I don't know who she's talking to. She just walked down the hall talking to herself. And I'd pick out the word praise or hallelujah or thank you. And I followed her down there to her room one day and she said, she said, what's your name? And I said, Brian. She said, my name's Sarah. She said, let me introduce you to somebody. She went and she said, come here. And I'm like, there ain't nobody in this room. Nobody. Who, who's she going to bring out? I looked under the bed. There wasn't nobody here. Nobody. Now I'm going to Bible college at this time. She looked at me and she said, Brian, I want to introduce you to my friend. She said, Jesus, this is Brian. I felt about that big. Because that lady knew she had a friend that was in that room with her every single night. When she was feeling lonely, she had somebody that she knew was there. And do you know what? About two months after that encounter... God began to work on my heart about an intimate relationship. About You know what, folks? This ain't about just coming to church, giving your little obligation, coming on Wednesday night to a prayer meeting, or just thinking that you can get yourself to heaven by good works. It ain't none of that. It's about having a relationship with the God of heaven. Do you know Him? This lady did. She used to tell me at night that the 
that the Savior would sit right beside her. She had a chair she'd pull right up to the bed and she would leave it right there while she went to sleep. She said, Jesus sits right there every night. I'm like, okay, whatever. I mean, really, I'm not, don't look at me critical now. I'm just telling you, I was a point in my life where I was like, this is hocus pocus stuff. To my amazement, she passed away about two months after that. And the nurse told me when I said, where is Miss, where's Miss Curly? Her last name was Curly. I said, where's Miss Curly? She, she said, uh, the nurse said, she, she passed away last night. I went, what? She passed away? I didn't get a time to talk to her. She said, but you know what was amazing? The awkward position she was in when she died, we found her in the bed, but she wasn't all the way in the bed. She was, she said half of her body, her bottom part of her body was on the bed, but the top part of her body was laid over in that chair. And I went, my soul. She died in the arms of Jesus. She went to heaven in the arms of her Savior. Folks, do you realize that God's final four, heaven's final four, number one is the eternal word of God. It will never fade away. The second one is this. It's the eternal place of God. God's prepared a place for you. The third place, the third thing that is in God's final four is the eternal Son of God. Thank God for our Savior. But I'm glad when we get to heaven that we're going to see ones that we hadn't seen in a long, long time. When my life work is ended and I cross the swelling tide and the bright and glorious morning I shall see I shall know my Redeemer when I reach the other side for His smile will be the first to welcome me through the gates to that city in a robe of spotless white he will lead me where no tears will ever fall. In the glad song of ages, I will mingle with delight. But I long to see my Savior first of all. I shall know Him, I shall know Him. And redeemed by His side, I shall stand. I shall know Him, I shall know Him. You know how you're going to know Him? By the prince of the nails in His hands. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning I want to ask you a question. Nobody looking around. I'm going to ask Miss Shelley to move away the piano very quickly. I want to ask a question right now, Judgment Day on, and say, Preacher, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, there's not a doubt in my mind if I were to take my last breath before I leave this place today that I'd be in heaven. I'd be in the place where you've talked about today. There's not a shadow of a doubt because I ain't trusted in my church membership. I've not trusted in my good works. I ain't trusted in Lord's Supper or baptism to get me to heaven. I've trusted in the King of glory. I've put my trust in Jesus Christ. And I could say beyond a shadow of a doubt right now, preacher, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, if I went to, if I went to sleep right now and never woke up, I'd be in heaven tomorrow. And you could raise your hand. Once you put it up, you can put it down. God bless you. Now, one more question and we're going to go home. If you're in this room and you're not sure you'd go to heaven, but you want to, 
I wonder if you'd give me the privilege of praying for you. I wonder if you'd say, you know what, preacher, I'm not sure that I'd go to heaven, but man, I, I want to go. I want to be in that celestial city. I want to go to heaven, but I'm just not sure I'm going to get there, and I want you to pray for me. Is there anybody like that would just slip your hand up and then put it back down? Anybody like that? God bless you. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else say, preacher, will you pray for me? I'm not sure I'm saved, but man, I want to be, and I want you to pray for me. Anybody else? All right, God bless, friends. God bless you. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. If you're not sure and you want to be, the Bible is explicitly clear that you don't have to hope or think that you're going to go to heaven. You can know that you're going to go there. Listen, don't base your salvation on how you feel. Because I promise you this, your feelings are going to hurt you. You're going to get let down because of the sin, maybe so, some of the shortcomings in your life. You have to put the, the, the total rest of your salvation in the finished work of Calvary. And you know, you know this, based upon the Word of God, that you can know before you leave this place today, you can go to heaven. If you've got questions, please come see me after service. Come to the altar. If you need to. Hey Christian, I want to ask you this question. If you are saved, if you are going to heaven, can I ask you a question? Are you ready for him to come back? Search your hearts. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the, the book of the Bible in which it reveals our Savior to us. Lord, I thank you for the final four in your word that says that we can trust the eternal word of God's going to be in heaven. We can trust that the eternal place of God will always be prepared for us. We can trust that the eternal Son of God will always be making intercession for us. But thank God, the eternal people of God will always be there. A day, a place in which we can rest from our labor and cease. From all the preoccupation of this world. One of these days we're going there, Lord. Help us to live like we're going there. I praise you, Lord, for your goodness this morning. And I ask you this invitation time. In Jesus' name, amen.